I love how interactive these bumper videos are getting. Everybody's like, let's clap to this one. Let's do it. I, I like that. So um, next week, I expect more clapping involvement, all right? We'll just keep upping the, upping the clapping ante. Well, um, we are continuing. We are in week two of our series, You Asked For It, asking the, the real questions you have asked. And I have brought some of my own questions to you last week, and they were not received well. I'm going to be honest with you. I was disappointed that people didn't appreciate my questions. I've got more for you. Uh, why are there interstate freeways in Hawaii? Uh, is it true that cannibals won't eat a clown because they taste funny? All right. Some of you are like, honey, get in the car. We're going. We're going. This is, this is ridiculous. All right. Well, that, that's the end of my questions. We'll get to your questions. This week, we are unpacking the question of how do I share my faith? especially with people who don't share my worldview or belief system. And so uh, this was a, a question that, that was asked by multiple people, and, and there was a, a more specific direction I'm actually going to talk about. It's going to be very, very particular, but it has broader application, I promise. But uh, sharing our faith is a command that Jesus gave to all of his disciples, uh, it wasn't just a couple of them. It wasn't like he pulled the big three up. He's like, Peter, James, John, come here. You guys, you guys are my guys, all right? The rest of them are a little iffy. So you guys, I've got a special job for you. He told all of his disciples. He, he came to them. He gathered them around um, right before he left them. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me there. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And so... Jesus sends them out, and we don't believe that that Great Commission ended at the end of the book of Acts or at the end of when uh, Paul did his missionary journeys. We believe that it continues to now, and I believe, and we have expressed that, that New Life Church's purpose is to be responsive to the Great Commission. That uh, we have been placed here, New Life Church, as a house of hope in our world, and in this place in Springfield. Um, when I first came on as lead pastor here, I talked about uh, the acreage of our, of our facility here. It's about four and a half acres that we sit on. And it's, it's interesting because uh, uh, a United States aircraft carrier, the surface area of an aircraft carrier, is about four and a half acres. And uh, what the, the saying is that that is four and a half acres of sovereign U.S. soil wherever it goes. Let me tell you that this four and a half acres is sovereign to the Lord right here in Springfield for a specific purpose. That we have been placed here to be hands and feet of Jesus reaching into our community as a house of hope. That we stand in the darkness. That we stand as, as, as light to our world. And so we, we, are, we are not looking here at New Life Church for having Christian transplants. If you are a Christian transplant that's here, I'm not saying you have to leave. But let me tell you, I don't want people to come here just because we happen to have something better going on here. Somehow we're doing something that's just like really nifty. But rather because we are reaching the lost. That the lost are being found. And Jesus is changing lives. And that is the stories we want written through New Life Church. We believe that our calling as New Life Church is to be a missional church. And a missional church is comprised of, get this, missional people. 
Missional churches are built out of missional people. So how many of us would say, I want my church to be a lost winning church? Amen? Amen. A good portion of us. I'd say 30 of us. That's good. (laughs) Now the question we must ask ourselves is, am I then winning the lost? It got quieter. (laughs) We say, I want to be part of a lost winning church. It's comprised of lost winning people then. Am I winning the lost? And then it gets, uh, that's when I had the oof moment, right? Am I being one of those people as part of a missional church? So if we believe that God has called us to share this good news of Jesus then, then why aren't we doing it? Why do we hit that oof moment? In a series I shared a couple years ago, I presented some reasons that I believe we often don't follow with what Jesus commanded. And here's what I came, came forward with. First of all, I think often we're afraid. Knees weak, arms heavy, arms, mom spaghetti, you know, that, that thing. <laughs> Sharing your faith is a very, in, a, in a personal setting is very daunting. It, uh, it, it, even if you're not the one to bring it up, it's almost easier to stand here or on a street corner with a loudspeaker and to be really brash and say it to a crowd than one-on-one. You feel very vulnerable, right? You feel very... Uh, there's something that changes in that, that, that dynamic. And so often, fear takes over. Second, we don't feel qualified. Uh, what if they ask me a question that I don't have the answer to? What if they ask me something that I just, I, I, didn't, I didn't go to seminary. I, didn't, I don't have these answers. What do I do then? I just look at them like an idiot for a while. And then we say, well, see you later. What, what happens? You know, so, so we don't feel qualified. Third, we don't want to be the pushy one. I don't know if any of you feel like the only time someone comes around is because they need something. And you're like, I want to stay away from that person. You don't want to be the person anytime you come around, people go, oh, here comes, you know, uh, preachy Candace. They're going to come and just really, you know, hit me over the head with the Bible. And you're like, I don't want to be that person. Fourth is, and I think this is the saddest one. I think sometimes we're just complacent. We think, I just want to live a passive good life. I'll live a good life. If someone has a question, maybe I'll answer it. But I just don't want to rock the boat. And, uh, but that to be honest, stands starkly in contrast to what Jesus told us to do. Uh, If we truly believe the gospel, and remember, gospel means good news, right? If we truly believe the good news that that Jesus came to save us from our sins, that with our sins, without salvation, people are going to hell. And so the good news is there's salvation. And if we don't bring that to them, they're going to be lost forever and eternity matters, then something's got to give. If we truly believe it, there's something that's got to compel us to go. And so we hit these barriers and we ask, how do I share the good news and, and how do I maybe push through some of these fear things? And that's, that's a, a, go back and find my message that I talked about that a few years ago. It was in a series called Testify. But today I want to talk about more practically how we actually share our faith and how we can approach people within a certain uh, worldview. But we might ask, why me, God? Why can't it be someone, anyone other than me? Why not someone else? But let me tell you, God has placed you in specific places and in specific relationships to be able to reach people that no one else can. You have relationships that are unique in and of themselves to anybody else's relationship with that person. You may be say, I'm, sa- I'm married to someone who's not saved and it's really difficult. You have a relationship with that person that is unique from anybody else's. If you have a job with a coworker that is really difficult, or maybe you know, just you think they are the most lost person there could be, God has placed you there for a specific reason. Yeah. These relationships are 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 we are we are placed in a specific 
place for a reason. God ordains things that we don't always understand. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, the people were around were always just peas and carrots with them, right? <laughs> um, we, God may be, bring people into your sphere that you do not align with politically. You don't share their same background or experiences. You don't have common goals or values or interests or styles or humor or maybe even the same sexual identity. And you're in this space and you might say, this is a situation that I don't feel like it's that comfortable for me or even my preference. Um, but, but God has, we, often I find that God enjoys kind of dropping us into context that we may see obstacles in that context, but what he sees is opportunity. We might see the obstacle, but he sees the opportunity. I'll tell you, I've been in a situation with where a place I go regularly, um, every, multiple times a week, I have this awkward interaction with someone I feel kind of uncomfortable around. But I'm like, I think God's kind of intentionally putting me here for a reason. Um, it's, it's, it's a situation which I would much rather just have my earbuds in and just go along doing my thing. But God keeps kind of kicking the door open, so I have to deal with this. Like, Brent, are you not getting it? He's even asking about where you work, Brent. I mean, he's, he's, he's lobbing the softball to you. And, uh, and let me tell you, we, we see these obstacles, but God's creating opportunities out of the obstacles. Each person, each situation, each interaction is unique and different, though. Um, there's, no, there's no, like, one-size-fits-all, right-off-the-rack kind of way of which we share our faith. This is where our questions are really rooted. How do I reach people? And, and mo- most specifically, we got this question asked, is how do I reach people who are in the new age? which I'm going to speak about really kind of specifically here in a few minutes. Um, but when Jesus called to Peter and Andrew to come follow him as his, his, as his disciples, he was walking along the shore, and there were Peter and Andrew, and they were fishing. And, uh, and Jesus calls to them. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, it says this, if you have your Bibles, um, Matthew four eighteen and 19. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, Peter and Andrew, Throwing a net into the water, for they were fishing, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And so they left their nets and followed him at once. Now I've shared this before. I'm a terrible fisherman. Like it's really tragic. I have had to do like ask people who know how to fish to take my kids out to help them catch a fish. It's just tragic when I take my kids fishing. Um, I'm unlike, unlike Jason or John who, who literally could catch a steelhead out of a, a mud puddle. I don't know how they do it. Um, I just cannot catch a fish. Um, but uh, as a matter of fact, a few years back, my in-laws came and visited. Um, they, they, they're from Guam, and I was like, we'll show them the Oregon coast. I used to live there. We'll show them how, how to go crabbing. It's going to be great. How can you mess up crabbing? Well, I took my crab pot, we put the bait in there, I was all excited, and I went, fooing, out into the water, into the bay, and was like, now we're going to catch us some crabs. Not realizing, I had not tied the rope off onto the dock, and it went, <laughs> and now forever, there's some sort of crab jail down there in the bottom of the bay. Hosanna reminds me of that every once in a while. She's like, somewhere there are crabs suffering because of you. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm not a good fisherman. But that being said, if you were to go, I do know this though. If you were to go, say, trout fishing, you wouldn't just go grab any length of pole out of your garage and uh, any uh, pound test line, like get really heavy pound test line and uh, 
It doesn't matter what hook size and bait and lure and just go out and say, I'm going to catch me a trout, right? You know exactly what you're fishing for. You know what they're biting. You know what kind of uh, the water, if you're really good at it, probably water temperatures and the areas they're going to be and all kinds of things like that. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, let me tell you, we need to be strategic in how we approach those we're witnessing to. We need to be thoughtful about it. It's not a one size fits all. So there's a couple keys in how we approach sharing our faith. First of all is this, commit to the relationship. Commit to the relationship. Leading someone to Jesus is not a notch in your spiritual belt. It's not a got one for Jesus, win, 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 winner, chicken, dinner. We are, we are loving people because Jesus loves people. We love them because Jesus loves them as much as he loves me. And so we invest in the person. They are an individual. They are not a target. They're an individual, not a target. And so commit to that relationship. And that, and let me tell you, investing in relationship requires time and energy and emotional bandwidth. And all of those things are costly. But if they matter to you, they, if they matter to Jesus, they need to matter to us. Second is this, engage in conversation. People know how they're valued when they, are, when they know that they're heard. You see, dialogue is a two-way street, and it opens doors. Um, We need to learn to listen without the express intent of just having a response. That's how I listen most of the time. It drives my family crazy. They'll come in and share about how their day was, and I'm like, I've got a great answer for that. I've got a great answer. As soon as they stop talking, as soon as those lips stop flapping, I've got something to say. Right? And often, that's the way we listen and respond to people is with the opportunity to put in our, our, our words. But a conversation hears their story. It hears their, their, their experience. And it, and it tells them that they, their story actually matters to you. Because it does. And so dialogue opens up a two-way street. And the, another thing is to welcome their questions. I am a person that I'm, I've been on this journey of it. Not getting defensive when people ask me questions. Sometimes when someone asks me a question, especially if it feels prodding, I get defensive. I'm like, they're, they're attacking me. And I think with our faith, if someone asks you a question, we feel like, oh, they're attacking my faith. Lord, right now, the persecution's happening. Do you see it? Do you see it? They ask me why I believe what I believe. Oh, God, protect me. But let me tell you, sometimes people ask questions because they're genuinely curious. They want to know. It indicates hunger. Explain to me why you think this. Tell me about this. Have you ever had a question get you on the defensive? And, and rather than, than it being still that dialogue, walking through it, it becomes a wall, a barrier in that relationship. Engage with the questions. So, to pivot now. Our world is getting ever smaller. Um, on your particular block you live, you may have, and you likely do have, a representative from each of the five big religions there in that city blocks. Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism. But here's the thing in this world, sometimes all of that is in the same person. And so, as I mentioned, one of the big questions that came in was how do I witness to those who are in the New Age movement? So, I want to talk to that a little bit. And again, I I, I reiterate, this is not exclusive to the New Age and how we respond to this. this. This transcends religious and spiritual views and things like that. This is a very practical way in which we can understand where people are coming from and how to communicate with them and how we express our faith. So despite its name, New Age is probably the oldest 
spiritual deceit there is. Um, We think New Age, that must be, you know, since the 1990s or something like that. Oh, nay, nay. Um, This goes back to the Garden of Eden. You see, the serpent, when it deceived Adam and Eve, told Adam and Eve, God is lying to you. If you eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God right? He said, you'll become like God. You'll, you'll, you'll become like him. And, and he's afraid of that. You, so, so one of the central tenets of the new age is that there will be this great spiritual enlightenment for humanity, at which point we all will attain a godhood consciousness. So I'm going to give you some of the kind of the basic tenets of, of, uh, of the new age and kind of where they're coming from. So uh, the doctrines and practices within new age can vary within it because there's not a, it's not a centrally organized religion. They don't have, um, you know, some guy that's writing out all the things that are the rules of new age. It's very kind of fluid, but uh, there are some, some, some central tenets that they hold to, but overall they believe there's going to be the spiritual, spiritual enlightenment at which point we're all going to attain this Godhood consciousness. Um, they explore things like metaphysics, uh, chakras, crystals, astrology. It's kind of a, a, a hodgepodge stew of Eastern mysticism and occultism. And so the New Age has lots of entry points because not many people are like, you know, walk up to you on the street and say, would you like to join an Eastern mysticism occult with me? You'd be like, no, but it has very soft entry points. It has, it has things that sound uh, uh, very appealing. Bookstores are flooded with shelves of books involving New Age ideology. Um, entry level, seemingly self-help books. Uh, positive spiritual self-actualization. Uh, several years ago, a book came out called The Secret, which people were like, I just put this good energy out into the world and things will come to me. And it seems like just self-help and positive thinking and these things, but it's entry points into this idea of, of, of uh, the New Age and their, their philosophies. And so um, New Agers, let me tell you though, in my explaining this, they are no fools. Um, let's not confuse them for not being in, unintelligent. They see something attractive in this unorthodox freedom to explore spirituality and tap into a God experience that they can achieve on their own terms and, and without the, the rigidness of religion, as it were. And so they're seeking that and they're hungry for that. Uh, much like the Force in Star Wars... Uh, New Agers do not have lightsabers so far as I know. I'm talking about like being able, this pantheistic idea of uh, that we are one with the universe and we are one with each other. And there's not this personal God, but rather this God force through the whole universe collectively that we can tap into. And that God consciousness can be found and accessed if we do it right. And so this, this is kind of being sought after. And so when you're sharing your faith with someone from the New Age, and many of these, um, like I said, cross over to other belief systems as well, there's some important things that we can do. First of all is this. Find common ground on which to build. Identify some shared values. When Paul went to Athens, I talked about this a few weeks ago, or a few months ago. He went to Athens. He noticed all of the idols that they had there, and they worshipped these idols. And he noticed that they had this idol to an unknown god. Um, Acts 17, 22 through 23 says, So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it. To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. 
And we, we saw the archaeological dig where they actually have the, the, the altar that they dug up. This one was in Rome that said altar to an unknown God, that these were common. And people had a spiritual hunger. There must be something more than just the gods we worship. And Paul identified that. He said, we've got common ground. You're looking for something more. I see your spiritual hunger. Let's talk about that. I actually know who you're looking for. I know what that missing piece in the puzzle is that you have. I can tell you about this. And so we found common ground. So here are a few questions that can be effective in opening up a dialogue with someone who is in the new age. First of all is this. I see that you have spiritual beliefs. Tell me a little bit about your spiritual background. That's very open-ended. It allows them to share about their background, their experiences. Remember, not every new ager is the same. They have widely varying beliefs. Secondly, who do you think that Jesus was or is. Who do you think Jesus was or is? Um, be thoughtful in this response that they give, though, because they, they do have something called uh, a Jesus consciousness. And let me tell you, that is not the same Jesus we know. Um, this is... Uh, so, so many in the New Age use Christian words, but they come with it with non-Christian uh, definitions. So ask for them to define those terms um, to make sure that they are referring to what you mean when you have that conversation. Third is this, what do you think happens after we die? Fourth is, what do you think of Jesus' claim that he was God and the only way to know God? What do you think of that? That brings, that brings a real conflict to the relativ, relativity and universalism that, that kind of exists within the New Age. It's, it says, is this compatible to say that there's an absolute? If I was in the car with you and I said to you, you know what? <clears throat> to me, red lights mean go and green lights mean stop. And that's how I choose to live my life. Would you want to ride with me? Probably not. You see, we have, we have things that, uh, that, that we, we would say this comes into conflict with, with a relativity and universalism. So is this compatible with what you're saying? If, you, if there is an absolute, how do you determine where... Um, where relativity ends. And so invite them then to test the spirits. The Bible advises us in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, to test the spirits. If they're very spiritual and into seeking spiritual enlightenment, the Bible says that there is a dark side to the spiritual world in occultism. And so we need to test those spirits. And many who are in the New Age have not completely thought through what they believe, um, asserting spirituality, but little else. How many of you have ever heard someone say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual? And you go, what's that mean? Uh, <laughs> spiritual. <laughs> and so, have they thought through what that actually means and what their doctrine would indicate? And so, and so invite them into that conversation. Learn their story. Um, I, oh, here, here's, here's some other... just. These aren't questions, but important points to make. I, I think it's important to have conversations with those who have come out of the New Age movement and come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Learn their story and what reached them. Um, I know we have some people within our church that have come out of the New Age movement that Jesus has rescued them. And they can perhaps give insight to, here's what I've experienced in my journey and what, what opened my eyes to truth. What opened my eyes to, to who Jesus really is. So learn that story. Second is this. Be rooted in the truth. You need to know your word. Amen. Let me tell you, the, the enemy knows the word really well. When Jesus was tempted, Satan didn't just make up Bible verses. He spoke scripture. 
Um, if we don't know our word, we, we are in trouble. So we need to know the word. Second, thirdly is this, be prayerful. We need to put on the full armor of God. When we go into these things, this is spiritual warfare. We don't just battle with human philosophies. We are battling demonic powers. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So we need to be alert. We need to be aware. So here's what I say. That's the end of my very practical application to, to, to the New Age. But here's, here's what I do want to say. No matter who that person is, no matter what their background is, no matter what they believe, no matter what their orientation, no matter what it is, our job is to build bridges, not to burn them. Our job is to build bridges, not to burn them. In, in John chapter 4, I'm not going to read the entire story because it's 40 verses long, but Jesus sits down to have a conversation with a woman at a well. Uh, the well was Starbucks of the day. That was like the, the place where everybody just kind of hung out. And so Jesus sat at a well and there was a woman there. And he started a conversation with her. And there could not be much more that separated these two people. You talk about anything in the book that could separate them this was it. Culturally, they were separated. And this was a very... Both societies were incredibly racist towards each other. They didn't want anything to do with each other. They thought the other was evil. They didn't like each other. And he sat with this woman who was called a Samaritan. And he sat down right next to her and opened up in conversation. Their religion was different. She had a totally different place she worshipped. She had a totally different experience in religion. He sat with her and had a conversation. Gender was different. Men didn't typically talk to women like this. Jesus crossed that boundary. Morality was very different. She had multiple husbands. Five. And was living with a guy that wasn't her husband. So she was in multiple relationships. She was living a sinful life. And Jesus could have come to her in that moment, sat down to her and said, Woman who is not of my race, woman who is not of my gender and religion, you are immoral, you are living in sin, and if you die tonight, you are going to hell. Now... Was all of that true? Yes. But, but, you know, some people go in and unload both gospel shotgun shells on someone. <laughs> and they, they win the argument but lose the soul. So we need to speak the truth in love and with tact. Um, tact is having the right words to say at the right time. Isaac Newton defined it as this. He said, it's the art of making a point without making an enemy. And uh, that's a journey I'm still on. I'm really good at the other side of that. I can... But we need to learn how to speak truth in love. And no matter where you are in the conversation, let me tell you, no one's going to come to know Jesus if they feel just hate coming off of you and, and you find them as dis- despicable and, and disgusting for their what you what, what scripture may even declare is sin and you know it but but if we are setting up these uh, lines to keep people out we're not meant to draw lines to keep people out we're meant to cross those lines to bring people in and so when scripture refers to the lost it uses words like blind and deaf and dead and sometimes we feel this pressure that you know I need to be the one to convince someone to come to Jesus, to understand what salvation is and to surrender to him. But let me tell you, we need to let the Holy Spirit do his work. When we talk about words like blind and deaf and dead, those are situations in which a miracle needs to happen. Blind eyes opened, deaf ears uh, opened, dead people raised. I can't do those things. 
That's only something that God can do. And so the Holy Spirit's role is to convict hearts and to draw people in. They are then responsible for what they hear. So, so let me tell you, we sometimes put so much pressure on ourselves. If I've got to be really convincing and really eloquent and just tickle their ears, and they're going to be like, whoa, you're so convincing. But let me tell you, our job is just to bear witness to what Jesus has done in our life and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Now, we can learn apologetics. And apologetics doesn't mean saying sorry a bunch of times. It's not turning Canadian, okay? Apologetics means that, uh, that, that it's having a defense for your faith. And let me tell you, apologetics is a good thing. That it, there's nothing wrong with, with... And actually, the Bible tells us it's modeled in Scripture. Paul says we're supposed to have a defense for the hope that we have. But don't let your lack of knowledge prevent you from sharing what Jesus has done for you. Do you know who often are the strongest soul winners? Kids. And people who are just saved. You want to see a church fill up quickly? It's with people who are just saved saying, you got to come experience this. You'll never, you'll never know what I just saw and what I experienced. It's people that have this fresh experience with Jesus. It, do they have the, the, the best theology? Did they go to Fuller Theological Seminary and, and come back and like, let's say the Lord, you know, in the Hebrew it says. No, they're just like, let me tell you what I've experienced. I have something new inside of me that's changed. I have something that, that's stirring inside of me. I have hope that I've never had before. And that's what changes lives. And so... We need to leave it to God to open eyes. Just be faithful with our role of sharing the good news. Romans ten fourteen. But how can they call on him to save them unless, unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless, or if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? It's our job to tell. One of the most powerful tools you have is your personal testimony. One of the most powerful tools that you have in your arsenal is your personal testimony. When you go into a courtroom i love listening to true crime podcasts that's my jam if i'm working on something it's just a true crime podcast and one of the strongest things that can be in a courtroom is a testimony of an eyewitness and it's not the eyewitness's job to present the dna and to prove a case their job is just to report what they saw and let me tell you your testimony carries weight of what jesus has done in your life We might not be able to argue all the tenets of every religion and why this and that, but let me tell you, here's what Jesus has done for me, and this is why he personally has changed my life. And I have a relationship with God I never had before. So, our job is to share the good news. And and do we say, well, I failed if if I didn't bring them to the moment of salvation. If they didn't get down on their knees and pray with me, did I fail? Let me tell you this. Uh, In Corinthians, Paul talks about this a little bit. Uh, There was a guy named Apollos who would follow him around. They kind of were these two missionaries going around, and Apollos was getting a lot of converts. And people were saying, how dare he? Paul is the one who preached the good news, and now there's people becoming Christians with Apollos. And Paul said, wait, is this, is this like who gets to be the person that leads people to Jesus? We don't know our different roles. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 9. He said, I planted the seed, and Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Our job is just to be faithful with where he has placed us. We don't know what part of the process we may be in. Maybe somebody's already started that process, and we get to reap just what God's been just sowing in their life. That's pretty cool. 
That's a cool moment, is when God has already been working in someone's life because someone else has been faithful in that process. I don't know where you might fall in that process, but I can tell you one thing. Our job in the process is not to be the one who sprays Roundup on whatever God's been growing. All right? So your homework this week. Yes, you have homework. School year started. We have homework. This is your homework. Your testimony. You are to write it down. And I'm going to do this too. Write it down. And this is not an option. There will be a test. I mean it. Write it down. And it needs to be, it needs to be conversational. I'm not, I'm not saying you need to make it, you know, like a, a formal book. It was a dark and stormy night, you know, kind of thing. As if you were in a conversation with someone. And, and, and write down, why do I love Jesus? Why, what does he mean to me? And, and so I, I'm, I'm not going to actually take in your papers and things like this, but I am going to help you get this done, okay? So here's how I'm going to help you get this done. I want everybody right now to take your cell phone out with me, okay? And I want you to hold it in your hands like this. Just hold it out like this. Okay, can everybody do that? Hold it out. Hold it out. All right. Hold it. Hey, Siri, set a reminder to write my testimony today at 4 p.m. If you have an Android, this is on, you're on your own, okay? So today, don't let a day go by without doing this. It, it can be just a few sentences. But if someone were to ask you, here's, I think, what becomes the, the, the choke point in, in when, when we don't share our, our, our testimony. Sometimes we don't share it because we don't know where to start. Right? We're like, how do I even kick this off? Also, we don't know where we're going with it. Or lastly, we don't know how to end it. We don't know the whole thing. We're like, oh, well, you know, I, I was going to church from a young age and then, you know, I, I'm still here. So write down what it means, what Jesus means to you. How would you explain Jesus to someone? So this is, this is why I jokingly say it's not an option, but I, 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 I encourage you, I, I push you forward to say, write this down. I would love it if you'd email me your testimony. I would love to read your testimonies. Uh, my email address is on the church website or through Sunday links. I'm sure you can find it, but I would love to hear it. But, but I call you to do this with me, and I'm going to engage in this exercise as well. So you might say, well, I've got it written down. What am I supposed to open it like a scroll to read to someone when it's time? No, I'm not saying you're going to regurgitate it to them when, when word for word when that time comes. But at least it's got structure now in your mind. You know where it's going. You know what it is. And so, um, no, I'm not saying you're going to be able to repeat it verbatim to someone. It's going to hopefully come out much more conversationally. So it gives that structure to you to share it. So like I said, this was a very practical day today. There's, this is your takeaway, okay? And so right now what we're going to do is respond with our connection cards. So if you will, all will, pull out your connection card or your cell phones with me. We love the digital connection cards. That's our favorite one. Go to nlcchurch.com connect or use the QR code on the seat back. If you prefer the paper ones, they're in the seat back in front of you there. There's a connection card. Um, There's a few things that we would love to get from you on that connection card. First of all, if there's something we can be praying with you about on the back of it, write down what we can be lifting up with you in prayer. If there's something that's, that's going on in your life, we believe in prayer. We believe God answers prayer. And so we're a people of prayer. Our elders pray every Tuesday at 6 a.m. over every single prayer request that comes in. We read it over together. We pray for it. We have a prayer team that prays for these things. Let us know what God's been answering in prayer. There's nothing better than moving something from the prayer list to the victory list and saying there's an answer to prayer. So if God's answered prayer in some way, let us know. We want to give thanks for that. Um, But then here's the other part to write. 
who has been brought into your sphere of maybe it's influence or just relationships, people you work with, contact points, that you know this is a God thing and I need to respond to it. Some of us have had a name that's come to mind. Will you write that name down? It doesn't need to be a full name. I'm not going to look them up. Just maybe it could be initials. But we want to pray that God gives you those opportunities and the courage and the boldness to step out and to speak when it's the right time. That God would open those doors when it's right. That there would be a hunger in those questions. And rather than getting defensive and resistive when there's questions, engaging with it. And that God would begin to stir in their hearts through the Holy Spirit the, the truth that's there. Amen? 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 God is good. Amen? All the time? And all the time. God is good. Amen. Let's finish filling those connection cards out and I will close us in prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have called us to be a missional church. That this is a people that don't just show up because there's some good songs going to be sung and there's a good band and that the coffee is good and the donuts are less stale in the church down the street. But you have called us here to be people with purpose. That we have been engaged to reach our world with hope. That we know that time is moving. There is a timeline that is bringing the culmination of all things. That Jesus, you are returning one day. And that you would find us faithful. That we would take this great commission that you have called every one of us to. Not the person just to our left or right. But the person sitting right in the chair we're in has been called to share the good news of what Jesus has done in our life. Don't let us take this for granted. But Lord, we own it. And we move forward. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. New Life Church, God bless you. Go be Jesus' hands and feet this week. We will see you Wednesday. See you Wednesday.